Have you ever felt like you're on the low ground in conversations and social settings in general? Another way of putting it is, is that feeling like you're imposter syndrome, like you don't feel like you belong or you feel like a child in an adult world, that you're, you're inferior in some way to the other person or people in a conversation. The sensation of being on the low ground in conversations. I first came across this idea this terminology in the star wars films of course they were talking about fighting and the person that was on the low ground i.e they were lower position to the other person in a fight they were the one destined to lose because they were on the low ground now i've often felt this way in life in in my conversation like i'm on the low ground so in this live stream welcome by the way this is a new live stream from Social Skills U, and my name's Richard Cray, and I welcome you to this new episode, whether you're watching me on the live stream or listening to me on the podcast. So I thought we'd talk about six or seven different equalizers for conversations, seven ways of leveling the playing field. Now, it may not be possible really for you to implement these into your daily life at the moment. But maybe you can push the barriers by 10% at a time and, and work on it. There are specific techniques for, for each of these um, points that I'm going to go through. But that's really outside the scope of this live stream. This is more about raising these issues, which you may already be aware of, but just raising from the subconscious into the conscious mind. So without further ado, number one, eye contact. So as a general rule of thumb, they say that 70 versus 30 is a good ratio for eye contact. Now, this, of course, is just opinion. Everyone has opinions and there's no facts in this. But as a general rule of thumb, it's 70-30. Now, you might be down at 10-90. Your, your eye contact might be 5 or 10%. I know mine certainly was when, back when I was at the heights of my shyness and social anxiety. I even rem remember one incident where I was working in a shop and I was behind the counter and a woman came in and she was talking to me. But the whole time my eye contact and my gaze was down at the ground. And this woman, she leaned over and looked up into my face to meet my eye contact. And I was forced to look at her because she was pretty much putting her face in my line of view. And then she raised up and stood up straight. And I was forced to raise my eye contact as she stood up. And that for me was a moment of humiliation. She, I, I understand from her perspective, she felt like she was being ignored in, in some way or, or dismissed or not, not being taken seriously or whatever it was that she may have been thinking, but from my side, it was what she did was humiliating. And all these years later, I remember it. I remember nothing of what we were talking about, nothing else other than how I felt in that moment. And that is the power or the dispower of eye contact and how it can imbalance a conversation when you're unable to keep eye contact or, or keep a balanced eye contact. These days, what I do is try and keep in rapport with the other person. So if they're giving me 
50 percent eye contact i'll i'll roughly balance it out with 50 percent of my own but i'll also recognize if somebody else is only giving me 10 percent eye contact i don't jump to the conclusion that it's because they're not interested in what i'm saying or me as a person i will assume because of my own experience that maybe they're shy they're low in self-esteem and that's perhaps why they're giving me low eye contact and i will lower my own percentage of eye contact so as not to make them feel like i'm trying to dominate them or, or feel superior in some way to them because i can do more eye contact but the other end of the scale you might be with somebody who's trying to dominate you with their eye contact it might be up there at 90 percent eye contact now me these days I, I can meet them on that level and i'll i'll, I'll match them at 90 odd percent but when you get into this territory it feels like you're just in a staring contest with somebody and you can be sure that those kind of people will not be a part of my life going forward especially if it's a new person I'm, I'm talking to and i'm feeling like they're attempting to dominate me with their eye contact there will not be a friend tomorrow or, or a client the next week because I, I i i'm not down with that kind of approach to people so that's number one eye contact a very good conversational balancer if you can raise your eye contact Number two, the statistic flips on its head a little bit here. And this is talking versus listening. Where the general rule of thumb was 70-30 for eye contact, now it becomes 30-70. I forget where I read that. It was probably in one of the classics like Think and Grow Rich or How to Win Friends and Influence People or, or one of those classic books. I, I don't remember. But the general rule of thumb is that... If you're talking, you're not learning. So try and let the other person do the 70% of the talking and you contribute 30 or 40 if you like, 50 if you want. If you can, maybe you're down there at 10, 90 again and, and you're letting the other person do most of the speaking because you've got no choice because that's where you're, that's the space you're inhabiting at this moment in your life. But generally, 30-70 is a nice rule of thumb and balancer of conversations when you're talking. So the question part is, it's good for opening up conversations and getting information from people. So you, you can use them as an icebreaker to start a conversation. Just a, a nice, simple comment on the environment that you're both in whether it's at a seminar and you comment on the speaker, you offer an opinion on the speaker to this person and you invite them to share their opinion back. Now, questions have opened up the dialogue with this person and you can ask a few more questions and, and just get a deeper dive on, on their opinions, where they're from, etc., why they're at that event. And now you're learning about the other person. But at the same time, because you're doing this, you're doing it really to discover if you've got commonalities with them. But on the flip side of the coin, we often forget that if we're looking to find commonalities with people to connect with them, they also need to find commonalities with us. So we've got to be equally willing to give information back 
in the form of statements, information about ourselves, so that they can assess whether they feel they've got commonalities with us. So it's a two-way transaction, questions versus statements. But as I said, the general rule of thumb to aim for is 70% versus or 30 versus 70, 30% questions, 70% statements. No, that's wrong, isn't it? It's 70% question, 30% statements. Again, it's opinion. So you you slice it and dice it any way you like, but that is a that is generally what is considered to be a good balance, especially if you've got some if you're with somebody who does love to speak and talk about themselves and be the center of attention, etc., then you're gonna find it very easy to occupy the 30% listening versus talking now I'm, I'm i think i'm i'm mixing up two here i i've put down talking versus listening and questions versus statements i put these down as two separate things but i think i'm mixing them up so let me let me just draw the distinction so talking versus listening is what i'm referring to when i say 70 versus 30 percent 70% listening versus 30% talking. Now, questions versus statements, you can be 50-50% here. You can use the questions to open up conversations and learn about people. The statements is you giving reciprocity. You're giving information about yourself so that the other person can learn about you and you can both decide whether you've got enough common ground to take a friendship forward. And that's how how it works. If you ask too many questions, then you're just getting into, into the interviewer mode. So again, look for the rapport. How much is the other person asking you questions versus statements? And, and you can try and get into the rapport with the other person. So that's two and three covered in one go. So number four, the triple nod. So have you ever been in a a group conversation and somebody's talking away animatedly and everybody's got their attention on them and they're all nodding away like nodding dogs agreeing away and if you've noticed it then you'll probably notice how faintly ridiculous it looks when everybody's nodding away and they're not aware of just how excessively they're nodding and it happens in interviews as well so you need to catch yourself when when you're doing it yourself because the other person is noticing at a subconscious level and it looks just slightly obsequious if you're doing it especially in an interview mode the interviewer will realize and recognize that you're being as agreeable as you possibly can because you're there to impress them and you want the job and they recognize it and understand it but go too far and not too much and it, it looks false, it looks fake. And the other person, maybe not at a conscious level, but a subconscious level, will recognize it. And it will put you on the low ground in that person's mind and possibly on your in your own mind as well if you catch yourself doing it. So a triple nod is enough to convey to the other person that, yeah, you agree with what they're saying, if in fact you do. And just a, a restrain, a clean triple nod or a double nod represents you better as a person 
as well. More professionally, I think. You may have your own opinion on this. But for me, this is another aspect of conversation equalizing. So now, again, five and six, as I was writing down these points, I realized that these two points I've written down are so similar to each other that they might as well just be the same. So I've written down number five as following versus leading. And number six is reactive versus proactive. So let me explain. When you allow the other person to do all the talking, maybe you're about 10 versus 90%. And for whatever reason, maybe you're anxious and your mind has gone blank and you, you can't think of anything to say. Believe me, I know, I recognize that. I've been there more times than I can remember. If you're in that space and, and you're letting the other person do all the talking, what's happening? They're talking about the things they want to talk about. You're on their territory. They're maybe telling you a story about something that happened to them, their experiences. They're talking about their hobbies, their interests, their work, something that they're familiar with and they know a lot about. And as a natural side effect of that, you're listening and you're involved in a conversation that you don't know much about, perhaps. They know a lot about it because it's their thing and they and you've allowed them to choose the topic of conversation. So naturally, you don't know so much as they do, which reduces you again to being on the low ground in the conversation. And you can only be reactive. In other words, all you can do is nod along to what they're saying and ask the occasional question to keep them going because you really can't contribute to their topic because you don't know anything about it. Therefore, you're being reactive. Now, the flip side of this coin is, is being the leader or being proactive. And this just means that you need to introduce topics from time to time. You need to introduce your opinions into the conversation and take charge for a little while. Be the leader in conversations. This is being proactive, stamping your mark on the conversation, being proactive and leading it and talking about stuff that you know about, bringing the other person into your territory so that you have more to talk about. Now, the other person may have more social skills, more conversation strategies at that moment in time so they can operate at a 50-50 level on your territory. Whereas you couldn't do that if you was on their territory. But that, that's good. At least you've taken control for a little while and while you may not be able to do it all the time at the moment, it's about building in increments building yourself up bit by bit. And I, I started this live stream by saying that there are specific strategies and ways of doing this. And I've developed some of the best strategies in the world for it because I've dedicated half my life to it. And very shortly, I'm going to be a, bringing a program out that's going to change the face of shyness forever. It's going to level the playing field for everybody who's been the shy person, the quiet person in conversations. And this is going to be the ultimate equalizer. Now, I, I'm, I'm not going to go into details in this live stream. That's not what you tuned in for. But just be aware that that's coming out very soon. And if this is something that's affected your life, 
to any degree, then you're going to want to know about this. It's not like any information that you would read in any book. I mean, I, I've read 10,000 social skills books, 10,000 personal development books in, in the course of 30 years. And while you're reading those books, sometimes you, you can get excited and, and highly motivated while you're reading the book. But have you noticed that as soon as you finish the book, as soon as you put it down, the effect of that book wears off and you realize that, well, I've learned something here, but I take it into a conversation and, well, my mind still goes anxious, it still goes blank, and I can't access it, any of the information I've learned from that book. So what was the point in the first place? It's a, it's a cruel catch-22 situation. And I've experienced that over and over again with all the books I've read. I would sometimes, if it was a really good book, I would get excited while I was reading it. But it's empty calories. The moment it, I put it down, the moment I finish it, that glow, that motivation, excitement that was generated while I was reading it, it disappears in a puff of smoke. This is not going to happen with, with what I've created. So watch this space. Right, number seven, the, the final one that I'm going to cover with you here is not specifically the conversational equalizer, but it's a life equalizer, I think. And I call it, well, I don't call it, but it is the cause and effect. So I recognize looking back now that a lot of my life in the early days, the dark days, I was living at effect. I was blaming the world around me for who I was. Now, as a child, a lot of the programming that made me the way I was, I was not responsible for that. You can't be responsible as a child for whatever your environment throws at you and programs into your brain when you're at that young, impressionable age. And But there's a quote here, and I forget again who's, who quoted the quote, but generally, if you're born shy, I, I think the quote related to something else. I think the quote actually related to wealth. If you're born poor, it's not your mistake. But if you die poor, it is your mistake. Translating that into the world of shyness or social anxiety. If you're born shy or you develop shyness in your early age, it's not your fault. But if you die with shyness or die with social anxiety, it's an old age, it is your fault. And I firmly believe that. You may have your own opinions on that, and that's great. We all do. But there comes a point where you take responsibility for your life as a, an adult. But if you go forward and you, you constantly live at effect, so you blame everyone around you for your own misfortunes as an adult, then you're living at effect. Something happens, you miss an opportunity, you don't get that promotion, you something happens. You blame somebody else. It's somebody else's fault why you didn't get that. You're, you're, you're disadvantaged in some way. Somebody else got that job because they had the advantage of going to a university and getting this degree, which gave them the, the advantage of the in this interview as against you. Now, I can tell you that if you're not a person with a lot of life experience, you may not yet know this, but 
as you go through your working life, you will notice that the people, the colleagues around you, the ones that get promoted, they're not the ones that are technically skilled in whatever career you're involved in. It's not the people that know about the job or whatever it is that you're skilled at in your job or career, whatever your chosen profession is. It's the people with the great people skills, the social skills. They're the ones that get promoted. If they're good technically at the job, then that's just a bonus. But that is not what's getting them promoted. It's it's their ability to communicate with people, which is what any company prizes above the technical knowledge. Yes, getting the interview into the job in the first place is, 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 is a strong point, but it's also the social skills which pack a more mighty punch. And if you've got that part of your life down, then you're going to see your career benefit tremendously as a side effect. So just keep that in mind if you're a younger person. If you're getting held back, it's not because you don't have the social skills or the manager is, is just favouring the other person because they like them more. This is just living its effect. It's blaming external influences. When you move to cause, you take charge of your life. You take responsibility for what's happening. You you know you've got the technical skills down for a job. You want the promotion. Take responsibility. Know that social skills count and they're important. And you can take responsibility and develop your social skills by whatever means necessary. Now, I've mentioned that I'm bringing out a program that is going to be a game changer for people like you, people like me who occupy that space. You can watch this space and look out for it. I'm going to be talking more about it in the coming weeks. Or you can go out and buy a social skills book. However you do it, whether you go to a seminar, go to Toastmasters and, and get some exposure therapy, getting on stage and speaking, however, whatever route you take, know that this is being proactive. This is moving to cause versus effect. You're taking responsibility for your life. You're taking charge. You're taking responsibility. And that is the ultimate equalizer. And that is my seven. So in short, eye contact, 70-30. Talking versus listening, 30-70. Questions versus statements, 50-50. It's up to you. Triple nod versus nodding dog. Just a nice restraint, triple nod, gets the message across and it keeps you on a level playing field. Following versus leading, proactive versus reactive. So don't always be the follower in conversation, sometimes take charge, sometimes be the leader, be proactive. And as we just covered, cause and effect, which again is it's, it's taking number six, reactive and proactive to the next level. Okay, thanks for listening. I hope this was useful. And I hope you're going to stick around for the next live stream in a week's time. All right, until then, have a great week. Bye for now.